Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and oh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. Hey there. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I'm Henry. How's it going? I'm Chris. Oh, man. So glad to be back. It's good to hear your voice again. How you been? Hanging in there. It's nice to be able to talk about a more innocent time period, although... It's hard to believe the 80s were more innocent. Boy, we entered a weird realm. <laughs> a more innocent time period, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when we're like, we're talking about the th- stuff that happened, like, uh, you know, like in our significant events, John Belushi died of a drug overdose. Yeah, or March just, I don't, know, I, don't, so. I don't know if you had this feeling, but like in 1982, I was starting to come into that time period where I was like, there's no way we survive till 1989. There will be a nuclear war. But, that, oh, yeah, yeah. but that's a more innocent time period than we were at now. <laughs> and yeah. we thought we had it bad. <laughs> I know. And we we were, that was the idealistic, ideal times, man. And look back on those times as innocent. I know. Um, anyway, so let's, uh, Henry, let's uh, start the show. What do you say we uh, give them some plugs at the top? Sure. You know, if you like our show, you like the records that we're choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes. I guess if you're, if you're listening to the show right now, basically the whole premise is that we listen to records from the eighties. We listen to generally five every episode, although we last, uh, last time out, if you'll go to your uh, podcast feed, you'll see, we did one for uh, an entire episode on the message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. But um, yeah, that's the first, that's the first time we've, we've ever done that, that we've done a special one uh, album episode. And so we listen to those records and uh, we break them down and talk about uh, whether you should give them another listen and try to give them some new context in 2020. But if you like our show or you like the records we're choosing, if you'd uh, please rate and review us on iTunes, that would be great. That'd be great. Um, And also just real quick, my Twitter handle is at TCI Duke and Henry's Twitter handle is at Hank G and that's Hank G E E. And if you want to talk to us on Twitter, you can find us on at 80s exposed 80SEXPOSED or email us at 80s music exposed at gmail.com. And we would definitely love to hear some feedback from you guys. So, Henry, why don't we start with a few significant events from March of 1982 to get everybody right. in the mood? March the 5th, John Belushi dies of a drug overdose. Hamburger, 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 chibaga, chibaga, chibaga. Remember that? Oh, I, how can I forget, right? <laughs> yeah, so that He's was like, right and if I remember right, Henry, at the time, he was like one of the, maybe the biggest comedians around, because the Blues Brothers had just happened, Animal House, he had done Animal House, so that was kind of a shocker. I don't know if you remember that if, if at the time. I do remember it, but I didn't know, like, I didn't know what the drug was. Was It, it was cocaine, right? It was. Right. It probably got to his heart or whatever. Yeah, I don't think he was in the best of shape, and he'd been doing lots of cocaine, and, you know, that's not a good uh, combination. Um, also, on March 13th, Henry, this was very significant to me. T.J. Hooker, starring William Shatner, premiered. 
Why was this significant? I, I mean, that, I know. That, I, think, I watched T.J. Hooker, too. Okay, so I was at an age where all I'd seen him in, of course, was Star Trek and Star Trek reruns, which were huge. Uh-huh. I was still at that age where it blew my mind to see any of the characters from one show do something else. So On another show. Right, yeah. so I don't know that I ever, I don't remember if I ever actually liked T.J. Hooker, but I would watch it a lot just trying to figure out what the hell Captain Kirk was doing on a cop show. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it was kind of big to me, but I don't I don't know that the show was that good. Um, well, I mean, remember Heather Locklear was on it? Yes, and I remember there was some guy that, to me, was the precursor of uh, Johnny Depp and Richard Greco. Adrian Smith. Yes. Why do I, I even know the guy's name? I you must have really liked T.J. Hooker. I did look it up, but I know who Adrian Smith was. And well, there you go. He, he, he was like one of those 80s guys that posed with his shirt. I, I feel like when the guys, when they made 21 Jump Street, the casting director was like, we need a, we need a Zemet type. <laughs> exactly. Find me the new Zemet. He's I think, proto-Depp. I think he was. I think he was Depp before Depp. Well, anyway, okay, so the next one, Henry, uh, Henry Fonda, the actor, won a Best Actor Oscar at the 54th uh, Academy Awards for the movie on Golden Pond with uh, that he starred in with his daughter, Jane Fonda, and also Catherine Hepburn, I believe, played his wife. She also mm-hmm. won Best Actress. The interesting part to me about this, Henry, was can you believe that was the first win, first Oscar win for Henry Fonda? And it also <laughs> occurred five months before his death. He actually didn't attend the ceremony. Uh, Jane Fonda accepted for him. Yep. And that's the only one he got? It's the only one he ever won, which is weird to me because that I would think there's better Henry Fonda movies, but... Anyway, that I found he, that he was, was weird. Like, he was in Twelve Angry Men and like The Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, he was in a lot of great movies. I I, uh, I was shocked. Um, Henry, I know you're really big on this last significant event. I don't know. I had to I had to add this in. So this was um, in March of '82. STS three, which is the third Columbia space shuttle mission, is the third time it went up. First one where the tank was unpainted. Do you remember how the old the big tank. There's the big tank in the middle, the two ta- little tanks on the side, and the and the, the shuttle riding the top. Well, the the middle one this month in '82 turned brown and it was like rusty. It's like anyway. <laughs> so this one was significant because the the tank was unpainted. That's right. Excellent. This time. This time. We're not going to paint the tank. Yeah, so, and to be honest with you folks, Henry really did have to add this back in because I looked through and saw this one and was like, nah, that's not it. That's not good enough. To really <laughs> <clear>. <laughs> I added it. I was like, oh. All right, what do you <laughs> say, Henry, we get to what we do best, which is cover <laughs> albums, hopefully. And, let's get um, it. Let's do it. So this first album is by um, a husband and wife at the time, duo. Richard and Linda Thompson. The album is called Shoot Out the Lights. It was a Rolling Stone five-star album at the time. And the song that I'm going to play is called Don't Renege on Our Love. i 
Okay, Henry, so that, that's the first time we've ever played uh, two separate versions of a song. So, yeah, I, I guess maybe we should explain what that was all about, maybe, right? So, yeah, so um, there's an interesting history. This record c- kind of happened when Linda and Richard Thompson were splitting up. Uh, maybe maybe the record itself kind of helped uh, split them up, I don't know. But uh, she was pregnant at the time that they made the record. So they were unable to tour with it. Basically, uh, they thought they were not ever going to get to make the record, the album. They were uh, their last one had, I guess, kind of flopped, and they didn't have a record deal. And their good friend, uh, or Richard Thompson's good friend, Jerry Rafferty. Are you are you familiar with Jerry Rafferty at all, Henry? A little bit. I think my he has had one really famous song. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, he had he had two from one album. One was called Baker Street, and the other was called Right Down the Line. Yeah, right, right, they're both right. kind of yacht rock hits. But anyway, so Jerry Rafferty, uh, I guess, <laughs> I guess Jerry Rafferty had some money. I, I, from what I could glean at the time, Jerry Rafferty was like the hot shit Scottish guy, and I guess that's oh, how really? they were. yeah. So it was like he came in and big timed him. Was like, look, let's make the record. I'll pay for it. We'll do it at my studio. I'll produce it, or, or we'll produce it, Richard, together, and then. Um, maybe we'll shop it and get a deal based on, cause you know, I got such a great name in the biz. Mm-hmm. Turns out they start producing this thing and Richard Thompson hates what's going on and what Rafferty's doing. And he ends up splitting ways with him. And so long story short, the Jerry Rafferty versions of all these songs have, have come out on a couple bootlegs. Um, cause yeah. they did record them all. And I love the names of the, the bootlegs. One is called Rafferty's Folly. Because apparently he lost thirty grand making this when uh, Richard Thompson left, and of course the the album that Thompson puts out eventually becomes their biggest album ever. So he kind of lost money in that. The other one's called "Before Joe Could Pull the Trigger," which I'm assuming is a reference to Joe Boyd, the engineer who ended up producing the record uh, after Jerry Rafferty left. So, but Before what I found, Joe, uh, so he was the he was the engineer of the Rafferty set. Sessions? No, he was. Is that he, right? he, I think he. Yeah, you're right. He engineered that session, and then he and Richard Thompson then, re-recorded. Then they, they just said, "Screw this." Yes, we're going to go do the record. What? Because but, what I read was that Richard Thompson does not like to work the way that Rafferty wanted to do it, which is this very, you know, methodical, slow process. He thought, you know, that records should be made more organically and, and quickly. Yeah, yeah and it and pitch. I and it definitely um so I, I found the bootleg and I listened to the whole thing and the mm-hmm. reason I wanted to play it was well first of all I think I think all of the stuff that we had read about the way Richard Thompson likes to record quickly mm-hmm. I think that's bullshit. Do you? Uh, here's why. I'll give you two reasons. One, I think the Rafferty versions sound better. They sound more ready for radio and I think they would sound um better to a record company, but I tell you what really is the reason. What? He takes most of the guitar solos out. Oh. And I don't know if you if you caught it on those two versions we played, but going into the second verse on the record version, there's this guitar, this prominent guitar stab before the so verse he, starts. He got neutered. Rafferty he got neutered took, on those songs. Yeah, and he, tried, he, he and, got his balls off. And he let Linda sing almost all of the songs. <laughs> and she had like uh she was pregnant, so had that dysphoria thing. Right, right. And so uh, this album in and of itself, forget the bootleg. This album, though, Henry, is legendary because um, it actually, they broke up before I think it actually came out. Uh, They were never able to tour because of her pregnancy. 
And it was the most successful Richard Thompson or Richard and Linda Thompson album ever. It's kind of yeah, a cult. Like, it's a cult hit. So Richard Thompson, the first band that I know that he he might have been in one before, but the one he became famous for was Fairport Convention, right? Yeah. So these guys which, were folk, right? Yeah. For, the most for me, I, Fairport Convention is annoying as hell. Yeah, I don't. Like, I'm not a. I don't. Yeah. I just don't understand it. And, and, so, and Richard Thompson. It is a great guitar. I mean, he is. A, if you're into classic yeah. rock guitar players, he's really yeah. good. So, I mean, I had seen, I mean, so he left this band to do his own thing. I have seen this record that we listened to, Shoot Out the Lights, on top 10 lists. I remember reading them probably in the 90s. You know, they would say Shoot Out the Lights is like, you know, was always in the top of records that you should be listening to. I never had a chance to hear it. But anyway, after he left Fairport Convention, well, during the band, I knew that there was an accident that killed his girlfriend. Did you read about that? I did. And so that was a thing. But anyway, when he left Fairport Convention, he did this solo record that was called Henry the Human Fly. I mean, you know what? You called the record that? <laughs> this, you is, know? this is why I think he should have listened to Jerry. Right? <laughs> I don't know, man. But so then, and so then he started oh. up, but she was uh, like a background, a backup singer for that album. Her name was Linda Peters. Yes. And so they did the next, you know, they did, they did the next one together. So the first record that they did, which was Richard and Linda together, was I Want to See the Bright Lights. The last one is called Shoot Out the Lights. I, I love mean, that. I love that. I thought that is the coolest thing. It's like if you if you are a fan of this broken relationship, beautiful dynamic that Fleetwood Mac had, you will love this album. Like, it's, it's even it, in some ways even better than than some than some work that Fleetwood Mac had. So for me, um, it doesn't even touch Rumors as a classic album. I don't however, mean Rumors. Right. I just mean other stuff. But so however, that dynamic. Th- that dynamic is definitely here. Yeah. Um, I, it's a couple things that I noticed, Henry. It was it was one of those records that we heard about growing up that I think it, it was like the the critics like you know darling. Mm-hmm. I think it was too adult for for me. Probably, at the time. Yeah. I, I think I have to be the age I'm at now to appreciate it. Like, what would we have known about broken relationships? What would we have known about the sort of the narrative that's right? You and, see, also, like, when, and also, the thing though that Henry that I kind of I found off putting about it is the folk aspect. So, even though to me he sounds like um, Eric Clapton, kind of, it reminds me of Eric Clapton and like when Clapton. When, when Clapton was doing the like mid seventies stuff, you know, except not bluesy at all, not but more folky, which was kind of weird. It was like that you can more like you can hear the Celtic folk underneath, like a like a Celtic or Scottish, yeah, yeah. You can yeah. hear that underneath, which was kind of weird to me. Also, I was expecting a lot more. So here's here's my other take on the Rafferty thing. I don't really. My first listen to this record, I thought Linda Peters is just Linda Thompson is just an average singer that he's banging because i don't get it i don't see what's so great about her and and then i listen to the rafferty versions and i'm like oh rafferty actually lets her sing um so i feel like there was that's part of the relationship coolness of this record is i think she was afraid to do anything um with these songs that richard didn't want her to because here's the other shocking part to me and i think it's a downer 
He wrote every single one of these songs. So like the songs that sound like Linda singing at him, those were still those are still him. She's not really expressing the breakup. I mean, for 2020, this is kind of a misogynistic. Oh, it's a great breakup record. Listen to them sing at each other about the breakup. No, that's all him. It's all he just wrote it. But then you're discounting like the way singers inhabit songs well that's what my point is if you listen yeah. to the bootlegs she's allowed to inhabit the songs a lot more she's given a lot more freedom I well, think. weirdly like the song that we just played it what like i'm like it's clear to me that the uh richard thompson version seemed better than Lynn. did you believe that no i like, I, I, I think the other way and then also i think if you listen to the way yeah. she phrases maybe go back and listen to it again just listen to the way she phrases it Versus the way she's phrases yeah. any of the other songs on the record, and it's night and day that she's she sounds but, more. But her songs work like on like on a wire, you know. She she that is her the way she inhabits that song is very strong. Like, see to me, it sounds tight compared I, to the, I, compared to the version that's on the um, bootleg. I haven't heard that that version of it yet. And but it, I will say that he sounds like he sings a little bit apologetically. And to me, that's exactly what the sound of two people swimming to try to save a dying or dead relationship. Yeah, that's what it sounded like to me. To me, and I, in my opinion, it's got more of a, the more I looked into it, the more it sounds like him. Everything's about him. All the guitar solos are about him. All the songs are from his point of view. That's so interesting. And, like, and her vocal is not, she's not allowed to open up vocally on these versions the way she does on the other versions. All of that said though, I do think Henry, there's a couple things that do make, that make me understand why this record was considered like a classic cult hit. Mm-hmm. Number one, I could see at times that this is one of those records that you could point to, to say, this is kind of the start of alt country. The other thing that, uh, about it was, at the time period, I think it cut through all for for people our age at that time. It cut through all the what the hell's going on with all this like whip it good stuff, you know. And, it, and it's like, oh, here's a real guy talking about real shit, right? Um, on the radio, that kind of thing. Um, so I can um, see those points of view, but for my money, uh, I was disappointed. See, I was expecting a lot I- more out of it. I liked it a lot, and and I and I felt like it was its immediacy was clear, but, but also maybe it's one of the reasons too is because I just like the way Joe Boyd records stuff. Henry, I can't disagree with you more. I think the bootleg album is better than this album. I think Joe Boyd's production uh, to me sounds like a, a garage rock version versus a guy that's really this uh, just produced goes to it the well. Cor- this and I also want to say core. that Henry. I think you like it because you're a total misogynist. <laughs> I think this goes to the core of some of, of, of the things where we differ in music. Whereas I like some of the immediacy, that stuff you like a far more crafted. I like how, when I said that, you didn't even respond to it. Cause you were just like, no, I'm yeah. glossing over it. Cause it's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> ignore. No. Well, I'm actually, you know, how, so, you know how you like, you just ignore things that make no sense. Right. Obviously. Well, <laughs> obviously the world knows that's bullshit. <laughs> to me. And here's the thing about, about this and we'll move, we'll move on. Cause I like that we disagree, but um, yeah, this kind of production yeah. to me sometimes, and if it's not a indie band, it sounds mm-hmm. to me like what redneck bar, 
production is. Like, it's so oh weird. man, come on, give me some, just give me that guitar and that bass and that drum. Let's just rock, man. Let's just rock. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> that Richard Thompson can play some guitar. And he's an he's egomaniacal crazy. misogynist. But um, thumbs up. Henry thumbs loves. up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's move on to the next round. No, no, you give it a thumbs up or down. I know you're I'm sorry. Down. I'm giving that a thumbs down. <laughs> okay. All right. You called it. I'm calling it. Thumbs down. The next record we're going to listen to is Thomas Dolby, but the record's called The Golden Age of Wireless. We're not going to play that song. By the way, that song you meme on this record. That's right. That's why I'm not playing it, because it's not on That's this the fucking truth. record. That's the truth, fam. That's right. It ain't even on it. That's right. So deal with the truth, because here it comes. <laughs> Right, so Henry Thomas Dolby, the golden age of wireless. First of all, let's get this out of the way. That the the hit song blinded me with science. I, I know that was my first exposure to Thomas Dolby. It was not a friendly thing for me. I I I think I I didn't like it then, and I don't think I ever gave Thomas Dolby a fair shot because of that that's song. Because, that's why I'm sure it's why I wrote it in my notes. But like, think about that stupid video, like. It had that goofy. He did that goofy scientist hair and stuff. I'm, I'm. You know? See, I'm tempted to. I'm tempted, Henry, to. Well, the, okay. So the, the origin of that song, which I find fascinating, is he wrote the little movie for it, and oh, came yeah. up with the concept all before he wrote the music. So the music was the last thing. So I think he really liked the video, which obviously you don't. I didn't like much of it either. I think, Henry, going back and looking at Thomas Dolby's career and listening to this album, I don't know where you come out, but I think he would have been better off long term and have garnered more fans like people like me if that song had never come out. Because I was blown away by this album. I found it surprisingly really good. I I loved it. I loved loved everything about it. I was pleasantly surprised. He could make a record that had so much, I wouldn't say it swung from one to the other, but it presented a lot of different moods. He's not afraid to be peppy. Nobody, and, but I thought and, there was enthusiastic, a, but there was mm-hmm. a lot more depth there than I thought. And you know what, you know what, yeah. the, you know what the problem was? I think God uh, blinded me with science made me put him in the same box with uh, this guy named Howard Jones, who I loathed. 
Do you remember I Howard Jones? Mm-hmm. I put him in the same box as like a Weird Al type guy. Oh, wow. See, so I had him. You had him more as a goofy. novelty guy. I just had him more as like one of those. Goofy. Oingo yeah. Boingo, uh, Howard Jones. I, mean, I knew he wasn't quite Weird Al, but I, but I didn't take him seriously. I didn't take him serious as like a serious artist. Well, after listening to this, I, I have a 180 on that because, Henry, this is yeah. not this is a concept record. Yep, um, yep. Also, I don't know if you read this in the notes, but like he had songs, uh, he had a, a more than an album's worth of songs, and a lot of his uh, friends and people at the record company were like, "Write a hit. You can write a hit. You're capable of it." And he was like, "I know I can. I just don't. I don't need to for this mm-hmm. album concept." And they were like, "Well, we need one." Um, Henry, I also found I also found it fascinating that this was a album about. Uh, the age, the golden age of wire was about 1950s and 60s radio in England. Yeah, but it's also sounds like at the time what I think the future was supposed to sound like. It's supposed, yeah, like it was supposed to be merging the past and the present. Well, then also on top right? of that, you've got what wireless means to us now. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he was being prescient. It's very fascinating <laughs> yeah. to me. Like he was, he actually was. Talking about like, the past, the present, and the future like all at the pro- same time. He's like being prophetic. He was. He was really? being. He was like looking back and looking forward. So I think but he, but, a lot but of what depth. he did not. But what he did not do was succumb to the the more dystopian parts of it. He didn't. He didn't highlight that. Although they were there, he didn't highlight them as just like this terror. He didn't dwell on that. Right. It's definitely not like um, a big downer. And so, and record. so, rather than like being something c- completely negative or like, okay, computer by Radiohead probably put a really a, more of a, a, you know, an emotional, a dystopian point. spin on yeah, it. Yeah, more dystopian outlook on what the future would be. It was probably a lot more accurate. I, but uh, I think we also be remiss if we didn't mention a guy that's recently become a hero <laughs> of the podcast. Um, Andy Partridge from XDC. Yes, yeah. I was shocked. You thought that, he played on this? That he played on this, and yeah. um, that kind of shocked me. But I found Henry the record. I'm going to recommend it. I found the record to be totally cool. Another one that I really hadn't listened to, and I put it in there with some of these records that we've discovered on the re- on the show that I think um, our fans would really enjoy. I think the record is uh, has more in common with like that movie. You remember that movie Brazil? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it kind of feels like that, doesn't it? It has a lot more in common with Brazil than it does something totally dark. Yeah, because it's more, it's got a whimsy to it. I, I, if you you like Terry Gilliam, you know, if you're listening to this and you like Terry Gilliam, I think if you gave this record an honest listen and, um, and tried to divorce yourself from maybe that, that one song with the goofy keyboards on it. You might uh, actually come back with a with another appreciation of it. So I give I give this one a thumbs up. Excellent. That's two thumbs up. All right. So our mm-hmm. next record, Henry, is going to be uh, by a band called Iron Maiden. The album is called "The Number of the Beast." Of course, it is. And the song we're going to play is called "Run to the Hills." Yeah. 
Fire when ready, Henry. I mean, I don't know where to start. I mean, I, this record sounds joyful. I'm sorry. It just does. <laughs> what the hell? I mean. This is Happy Maiden? I, I don't know, man. I, this is what, I think ACDC got a new singer and made Back in Black. Iron Maiden got a new singer and made The Number of the Beast. <laughs> I, I, did you get that feeling? Like, how is that? I mean, Bruce Dickinson, it's like, this is the sound that people made fun of for 20 years. Right. Or 30 years. That whole, in, in, that vocal operatic shit he does, like invaders. See, that's the thing that bothers me. Like, so I'm trying but, no, to, I'm no, trying no. to. So, in the verses, I'm trying to give it credit for the whole, yeah. you know, like tough metal kind of thing. Like, it, you know, what? it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the guy, the guy that left Metallica that started his uh, Dave Mustaine. Uh, the the yeah. verses kind of remind me. Okay, this is kind of Dave. Then these operatic choruses with like that's like that's the disconnect. That's, that's the part I don't like, I don't get it. I don't get it. But, and then, but but you don't but you don't like hate it either. You're like no, I kind of hate going, it. I kind of hate it. You know what? I don't hate it. I, you know the other problem is I don't. It sounds so much like what I think Spinal Tap was trying to make fun of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I, gonna write that. I can't. It seems silly. It seems silly. It yeah, sounds silly. It's it's too silly to hate. So, but but here's my thing. I'm trying to I'm trying to approach these metal albums uh-huh. uh, with a fresh ear. And like again, I think back in 1980, I liked the Judas Priest album we covered. I actually liked uh-huh. it. Um, it is worlds better than this record. Now, I have to say, as a kid, I, I have to bring this up. I I was taking to the Number of the Beast concert tour by my brother, my older brother. Yeah. And where I lived in a little redneck hillbilly town, everybody wanted to go see Iron Maiden because they had the coolest T-shirts because they had Eddie, the monster guy, on mm-hmm. the T-shirts. So I only wanted to go so I could get one of those T-shirts, right? I didn't really even know or listen to Iron Iron Maiden, but I got me a T-shirt. Absolutely was mortified by the concert. What do you mean? Like you were afraid? Not afraid, but just like it was just too sonically. It was like it, they were loud, loud just for the sake of being loud. Like I'd already seen Van Halen, and Van Halen was good, but this was just seemed like it was loud for the sake of being loud. And when he would go into that operatic stuff, it was just like, ear shattering like because it was so loud so loud and i think they put chorus on the on the mic or something it was just like you they just, better have yeah just it was brutal they but better have. but anyway so i always liked iron maiden t-shirts as a kid way better than iron maiden so i i i want to recuse myself probably from this review i did not i didn't like this album at all and i you thought can't it, give it I can't give I it. Like I can't it. even give it. Okay. I just snickered I'm at not, it. I laughed at it. Why the fuck is this? You are the one that's supposed to like this album, <laughs> and I'm the one that's supposed to hate it. Okay, so <laughs> it, this, this album it's, is it's, it's silly. Okay, it's but silly. Those, guitar, those guitars are tight, tight, tight. Well, I'm sorry. And okay, the, and I guess those guys can play, right? I know. It's not my jam. It's not my particular jam, but I get it. It is solid. It is competent. It is dedicated to the vision. That sound, that Bruce Dickinson sound, I mean, who did uh, uh, Tenacious D made fun of that shit? And people liked it. 
It makes me yeah, giggle too. I think we meet at the I same feel, spot. I just I feel bad about it because I feel like I'm not supposed to like it for the reasons that I am. And then I realize there's no right or wrong reason to like you. I think there's a wrong reason to like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost in some aspects, it's almost journey-esque in some ways. And it, 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 it is it's more um accessible than I thought it was gonna be. You're right. It doesn't Which is weird because right. like when I think about metal. It doesn't really sound like this anymore. Like, oh no, and I, and I don't even I mean? think um, I don't even think like uh, '90s uh, or late '80s metal like we mm-hmm. thought of, like Metallica and you know the stuff that started to become mix punk with metal, yeah. so it became really fast, like uh, speed metal. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not speed metal at all, even though it's it's kind of in the same range, but it's it's much more accessible. It's almost like if. Um, Mutt Lang tried to do speed metal or something, tried to produce mm-hmm. it and make it, uh, put it on the radio. Uh, and and by the way, I don't know if you remember this, Henry, but Run to the Hills was on MTV all the time. Like what? the video was on MTV all the time. So it was, it was definitely accessible. I mean, The Prisoner, that song, like the fretwork sits right into the song perfectly. It's mixed perfectly in the track. It's almost yacht rockish. Oh, boy, I can't wait to tell my Yacht Rock friends you called Maiden it's Yacht Rock. Well, I mean, in, in just a way that they, they the, the where they position the music in the in the track, it sits in it. There you um, go. Uh, all of our Yacht I, Rock fans, give this Maiden a listen. I'm not, he and some of the stuff he sings about, I'm not a number, I'm a free man, right? I prefer his cousin. I prefer his cousin. Who was his cousin that was in... Um, Oh, the Catherine, Catherine Wheel. Wheel. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I prefer my Dickinsons. You like your you like your Dickinsons more. Uh, more, more commercial alternative. More shoegazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so Henry, I'm going <laughs> to give. But, you know, this record sold 14 million goddamn copies. It sure did. What the, it, what the fuck do I know? <laughs> Nothing. So I gave it a thumbs up because I made me happy. Oh, that's I, I great. I'm glad that I'm glad that you liked it that much. Um, this whole thing should be called the re- return of the guitar players or something. <laughs> in the podcast, <laughs> all the guitars. Oh boy! All right, Henry, uh, take take us to our next uh, wonderful album from March of 1982. Okay, the next album we're going to consider is a little band called Asia, who did an album called Asia. And the song we're going to listen to is, no, it's not that one. It's some song called Only Time Will Tell. And so play that, I guess.
Catchy little ditty that is. <laughs> okay, so that's one of two songs that I knew. I remember uh, off the uh, Let me ask you if you knew this, Henry. If I was to tell you what the number one selling album of 1982 was, what no, would you really? say? That's right. Know. It would be For Asia's really? Asia. God almighty. Yes. Huge. So, like, <clears throat> there's the Heat of the Moment song, big hit. And yes. only time will tell the other hit. Uh, there was a third. There's actually a third there's single a third? that was a hit called. Um, I don't know if I remember that one. Uh, it was called Soul Survivor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, like one thing about these songs is like. It was the number one album in the United States, according to Billboard, for the entire year of 1982. Okay, I'll just tell people who Asia is. All right, Asia was basically a super group. Made of members of correct, correct me if I get wrong here, Chris. Yeah, King Crimson, yes, the band, yes, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Was there somebody else? No, so there were two guys from Yes, one guy from King Crimson, and then the other guy was from Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. There were just a lot of cooks. Did Great. you feel like that? Well, no, you know, honestly, it sounds like if Yes fucked Emerson, Lake, and Palmer to me, <laughs> so. But, hey, hey, no, tell but me, then tell me. Then, but then they went home and had a fight, and like. Well, but but I I heard a lot of parallels that I don't remember to that Yes song that was popular in the eighties when Yes tried mm-hmm. to be a pop band instead of a prog yes. rock band. Here's the thing, Henry. Uh, this is right at that moment in the early eighties when bands like Genesis, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, all these bands are trying to become pop bands to get on the yeah. radio. They're embracing uh, synthesizer more, like you know. Uh, synth pop type sounds because they feel like they invented synths anyway with the prog rock. But I'll, this is the weird uh, dichotomy I had with it, Henry. When I was at the age that this album came out, mm-hmm. I bought this album. I also bought Signals by Rush, which came out in 1982, and I think we'll cover later. I found this album to be way better as a kid. Now yeah. I find Signals by Rush to be immensely better. But I like the comparison because I think they're mining the same areas. Uh, Rush was this big, uh, proggy, uh, guitar-heavy band that were starting to use keyboards on signals, uh, starting to do much more three-minute pop songs uh, after moving pictures. If you want to know the difference in a bunch of guys that can play and songwriting and craft, to me... The difference in this and Rush are night and day. Rush, to me, has a lot more meat on the bone and is, uh, is going to stand the test of time a lot more signals will, even though it didn't have as many hits, obviously. This was way more commercial, but I think it's fill. it sounds like pop filler mm-hmm. to me. Well, it's like these guys, I feel like, were like low-key trying to be sticks. Wow. I didn't see yeah. anything low-key about that singer. In fact, in fact, listening right there, it reminded me of what we were just talking about with Bruce Dickinson when they go to the chorus. Now, I didn't catch the, sure as the that was a group. Yeah, but that's like a chorus. That, that's the yes influence. The chorus, uh, chorus, you know, like where you got. Yeah, it's like 
but I like the songs that Asian did more than the Sticks did. Well, I, if I'm going to compare, this is how bad I hate sticks. I, I I like this a lot better than sticks, and I don't like this at all. The best thing about this band to me is the shitty album covers, um, mm. that look like Journey album cover. Like if if a Journey album cover had, I, I'm doing this a lot. If a Journey album cover had sex with a Boston album cover, it would be the Asia album cover. I don't even understand the concept of the Asia album cover. It, it, it doesn't does. have any relationship to the band. Well, no, but th- there's kind of those bands that do have that. I like that. Um, See, did, did, what are Journey album covers about? Some bug? No, some yeah, space I, bug. Escaping. You're gonna escape I wonder album. if it's the same, it's the same artist. Shit. It's probably the same artist. I didn't even think I didn't look that. into that. I should. I, I didn't but, either. But we could go. The problem with this record is I can go track by track with you, just like I did during the song, because we're on Zoom right now. And I can point to the good part. And then the bad part, like it's real, like it, it happened on heat of the moment. Like there are some really catchy parts and really good parts of heat of the moment, like really well-written part along with just garbage. I think that's a great, great analysis. Well, let me ask you this though. Don't you find if you would go back and look at the bands, these guys came from in Prague rock. Don't you yeah. find that it's kind of part of the problem. They've got a 14 minute song with three different parts that to me sound right. like desp- disparate parts. And you're mm-hmm. like, why are you mashing those parts together? That's what I'm saying. And yeah. that's what this sounds like too. It's like a three minute version of, is that three different songs you mashed together? Because all you did was mash these parts. bits that you can't, everybody came in with their part. Yeah. And we just took them together to be a thing. And then we tried to make Steve Howell knit it all together because he's such a fucking hotshot guitar player, gun gun dude. Well, and let's be honest. I, let's give him. He didn't even play on the so- the singles that I could, at least these two. Well, let's be honest, though. All I think all of these guys are top musicians, just like the Iron Maiden guy. Like the drummer's great. I have to say yeah. he's a really good. Like Steve Howell's like. Yeah. I, I think story. they're all w- wonderful players. Yeah. But don't you feel like. They get wrapped up in their playing sometime more than like, is this yeah, a good song? Plus, as you as you clogged through the end of this record, weren't you like, look? Yeah, I was you, definitely this, like, look. <laughs> I was not happy. Y'all I, I, I will say to death. I will say though, the funny thing is here we are cutting cutting it up about how they don't know how to make a song. <laughs> and well, two of these songs are like the second and third best-selling songs of the early 80s. I know, but Heat of the Moment was, the middle part sucked really bad, <laughs> but people didn't care because the other parts were great. They, the, the, you go and have the other parts, and then you that that crappy part comes on, and you just start eating your french fries. Uh, well, <laughs> and then you come back later. Well, in a weird way, <laughs> I, I'm going to say I feel like you should listen to this if you want to experience the 80s totally because this is definitely a product of the 80s. I'm giving it a thumbs down, though. It is not thumbs good. Down, thumbs down for me. All right. Our last album we're going to cover is by a band called Flock of Seagulls. It's their debut album, which is also called Flock of Seagulls. Um, this falls under the category of stuff we like or we like to cover. We don't necessarily like it. We'll see. The song we're going to play, I couldn't find anything else for it. I ran so far away.
So, so Henry, I, I, I wanted to come into this one saying this was this was my narrative before I listened to the record. This is another album, sort of like the Thomas Dolby album, that I I didn't listen to the album because of this song being everywhere. I was coming into this saying my take on this was going to be this band was decent and was ruined by the fucking haircut and the image that they had with this whatever this swoopy haircut was like they never were going to live this down i listened to the record and then i'm like no this is just kind of a crappy record um and pretty much pretty much got it well and henry the other thing that blows and you know me i'm not as much of a lyric guy as a lot of people i'm more of a, a music guy I was shocked at the lyrics. There's not a lot of lyrics. Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of repeating so, of the title of the song. He writes, Mike's, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, Mike's score, but you really, you, I guess the sun, the sun shines on a dog's ass some days. And so you got like a, a hit because of that weird ass haircut. Yeah, instead of really the really weird haircut. Instead of the haircut being the thing that ruined them, I think the haircut's the only thing that got them That's through. the thing that got them on that in a video. Right. Got them on MTV. Like, if you read the lyrics to Space Age Love Song, I saw your eyes and you made me smile for a little while. I was falling in love. I saw your eyes and you made me cry for a little while. Falling in love. It's kind of like, lyrically, it's banal as hell. And you're, th- are you thinking this too? Like all the other guys in the band were like, "That's crap," but I can't do any better. I can't. I can't. I, I'm not a writer. <laughs> so he would write these semi-utilitarian songs, right? Oh. With these like minor tweaks that would make it new wave. But Paul Reynolds was the secret sauce, okay? That pe- that kept people around because it sure as fuck wasn't anything else. The problem with this is that there was they were all style and no substance. And you can see that like in what they decided to wear. If you look at Mike Score interviews today, you know, he basically says, you know, they talk, they ask, hey, are you tired of playing Iran so far away? You know, you'll say, is my bank account tired? <laughs> you know, like so white middle-aged fuckhead of it that it just belies the fact that he was not an artist. And that's what he that, was not driven to express himself. He was driven to succeed. Don't you, doesn't it bother you when you see that nowadays too? Like uh, yes. with older rockers, like a lot of the guys that did glam mm-hmm. stuff in the eighties and you thought, Oh, these guys are real open-minded. Like, and they were just doing it to like make money and they're all conservative. I don't know if you yes. saw it's a little off topic, but I don't know if you saw that uh, Journey documentary about them with the with the new singer, and I did. I, and to realize how conservative and assholeish and red state those guys are was really yeah. kind of they they were seriously patent like the Journey guys were ser- patting themselves on the back about how great and open minded they were having a guy an Asian guy that sounded like Steve Perry in their band, you know. But there's a um, lot of stuff in there that's kind of like condescending and um, yes, um, I think racist comments that they're making that they don't even know is that. And you're sitting there going, "You guys uh, were in a San Francisco band from the '60s." Yeah, what, what happened? How did you the become, fuck? Yeah, how did you become asshole Republicans? But so anyway, these guys. So, but like Mike, what they do was they took, you know, let's take some Joy Division. This let's take some craft work that. Let's rely on Paul to sell it to everybody, okay? Um, so you're saying score, it's a very I, cynical 
It's well, I I guess I, I listened to it. It's so transparent, like and it doesn't and it resonates. That's what you're picking up on, right? Is that he doesn't give a fuck, really. He's not he's not speaking out of some great desire in his heart. He's not giving you this granular picture of a world that Thomas Dolby was trying to impart to you. Right. They're trying to turn a buck on me, and that kind of that sucks. And that's what that's what you. They're taking the things that you they that of the time and regurgitating them to before that. Yes. And like Mike said, he's Mike score said, I didn't think our image ever dominated the music, but I know MTV thought it did. He admits for a long time, people came to see us for the band's image. I get that because I'm the same with kiss to me. Kiss's music is rubbish. I'd love to see, but I love to see kiss to see them. Over the years, people realize there's more to us than the image. They realize there are great songs there. That's just bullshit. Mike's score is Mike Love from the Beach Boys. Yes, yes, yes. That's he's a like great. a total. Yeah, yeah that's he's a like great a total analogy. careerist, like looking to make a buck. And it's clear if you spin this record any more than one time, that's what it is. That's yes. my opinion. So for me, it is a dead even tie between which record not to listen to more between this one and Iron Maiden record. You've already heard what you need to hear a flock of seagulls and move on. Right. (laughs) Right. I totally agree. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Okay. Yeah. Thumbs down for me too. But Henry, we need to find out what the younger uh, generation thinks about this. So why don't we give Megan a call and see what she's doing? How's it going? Good. How you doing? Pretty good. I was supposed to be in Detroit tonight seeing Kraftwerk. Oh. <laughs> that didn't happen. We just yeah. talked about Kraftwerk a minute ago. Well, and what's, well, not funny. At this point, though, every, like, bad news turn is always, it's almost comical at this point. But uh, I guess they broke up or they disbanded. So that's probably, like, I'm never going to see them now. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you know, just another day in COVID paradise. The, <laughs> there you go. well megan did you get a chance to listen to the albums from march of 1982 oh yeah i mean i didn't really listen to the um iron maiden one because i just don't care (laughs) all right well (laughs) all right excellent so what did you think of the uh richard and linda thompson record shoot out the lights well i had never heard of like i didn't know who the fuck that was right right So I looked him up, and apparently he was in a band, which I don't even remember the name of the band because I it didn't ring any bells for me. Would that be so fair, Fairport Convention? Whatever that is, <laughs> I can tell you're Whatever taking this. Are. I can tell it's you're a, taking this craftwork thing really. Hard. They're a really annoying band. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I like his voice. Okay. You know, he's got a pretty good voice. I was kind of pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, and I mean, this like this was kind of like, I didn't, I mean, I don't love it, but it was kind of a cool discovery. Because like I said, I had never heard of him before, so um, I was kind of intrigued by it for that reason. I mean, I wasn't blown away by it, but... Um, Henry gave it a thumbs up, I gave it a thumbs down. I'm kind of, like, I liked it. I mean, it was, like I said, it wasn't, I don't know exactly what I expected, because the name Richard Thompson 
Like it doesn't really like when you hear that, it doesn't inspire any specific image of like what the person looked like or what their music would sound like. So I think that was kind of why I was like, Oh, like I'm definitely going to check this one out. Well, now I I didn't mention this when we were reviewing it, Henry, but I really dig the album cover. Speaking of the album cover is cool. Yeah. He's sitting on the ground with the picture of his wife on the wall. Right. And it looks like a really desolate or kind of a crappy, it's like uh-huh. he's not in like the lap of luxury. Like it looks like he's low down, which I kind of like. Mm-hmm. Um, how about the Thomas Dolby album, The Golden Age of Wireless? Henry and I both like this one. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I feel like Thomas Dolby, like he's one of those artists where people like obviously he's kind of viewed as a one hit wonder because mm-hmm. of She Blinded Me with Science. Yeah. But like a lot of like new wave fans, you know, they're always like, oh well, there's more there. Like he's actually really talented stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But personally, I just don't understand the appeal. Like I don't I don't know. I'd be fine with never hearing she blinded me with science ever. Did again. you Did you think he was really goofy? I mean, I feel like that song is goofy and the video yeah. especially, which at that time like the songs and the videos were so like intermingled that it's mm-hmm. like really hard to like hear this song and not think of like a goofy eighties music video or movie. Maybe it's because I am in a mood tonight, but that song makes me think that we deserved the COVID pandemic. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, like so. I am over it. I don't want to ever hear it again. Hey, remind me never to get on her bad side. Chris. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> so Iron Maiden, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to bring up Iron Maiden or Asia again. How about Flock of Seagulls by Flock of Seagulls? Although, okay, I didn't know Asia was a super group. They were a super group. Yes. Yeah. That's weird. I had no idea. Did you feel like after hearing the songs that they were a super group? I mean, it's just like, other than obviously like Heat of the Moment is a great song, but like the album is just kind of, eh. Like, I don't know. I'm just not super, like, that type of music. It's not really my thing. So I you think like, that's... Like the proggy kind of, stuff? Yeah. Like, it's just not my thing. I think it might be because I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us your thoughts. Both of us disliked Flock of Seagulls, Flock of Seagulls. But what did you think? Um, I really like this album, actually. Uh, especially, like, Space Age Love Song. Like, I prefer that song over, like, I Ran. That's another song. It's just very overplayed. I think we've all heard that song enough. I think that they kind of don't get the credit that they deserve a little bit. Like, I know that they didn't do a lot, especially past this album, and they're viewed as one-hit wonders. But, like, I like his voice, and, like, I like the um, the guitar work in it. I think it's kind of cool. If it wouldn't have been for that stupid fucking hair, I think that they would have been taken more seriously, and they might have lasted a little bit longer. I will um, give you that. I don't think that anybody took them seriously with the haircut. No, Although, even then, it was stupid. They, yeah, they didn't <laughs> do themselves any favors with that. Well, Megan, I would say it was a pleasure talking to you, but I'm worried that it wasn't for you talking to us. You sound kind Why? of bummed. You sound kind of bummed tonight. You sound bummed. Yeah. I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as much fun as one can have. I'm just sitting in my dark room, by the way. Is <laughs> <laughs> she sitting in the dark? It's fine. Sitting in the dark, pot- drinking some wine. Robert Smith would be proud. Very much so. <laughs> Well, yeah. Megan, do you have any plugs or anything you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Um, I mean, just the usual, our social medias, uh, at 80s Exposed on Twitter, 
at 80s374 on Instagram and then 80s Music Exposed on Facebook. And then you can follow me on social media at Bastards of Young92 and then Megan Maddox on Facebook. Although I must admit, I've been trying to kind of be on social media less lately uh, just because it's, I wasn't find, finding it personally fulfilling. <laughs> Yeah, it's very toxic out there right now. Yeah, people are losing their minds a little bit, I think. Yeah, no I, shit. I think it might. At least some people, not everybody, but I mean, it's getting weird out there. It's getting weird out there, folks. <laughs> yeah, no. and I don't know what's going to happen. Like, what stage are you guys in? I'm in the, uh, it's going to get weirder and harder, so just batten down the hatches until the new year. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much like, let's put the Christmas tree up already because this year is fucking toast. Yeah, this one is fucking going. Yeah. <laughs> We're done. Like, I, at least I'm done with it. I mean, I'm I guess I'm, about my house. I'm just, but. I'm just looking forward to the election and trying to. Uh, You're looking forward to the election? Yes. <laughs> well. <laughs> All right. Well, Megan, we will talk to you next uh, week when we cover um, April of 1982. Cool. Sounds good. I'll be here sitting in my dark room, not going to any shows. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. We'll talk to you later. Right, talk to you soon. Bye. Sounds Bye-bye. good. All right, Henry, that leaves us with what is your album of March 1982? My album of March is going to be the Richard and Linda Thompson record, Shoot Out the Lights. Great. Okay. I expected this to go both of us with Thomas Dolby. I'm going to go Thomas Dolby, The Golden Age of Wireless. I I think the Richard and Linda Thompson album, too, is interesting enough that it's worthy of a listen. I I know you cringe when you hear this, but I don't think it really fits in as an 80s record so much to me. But both those records were much more listenable than Asia, Asia, which, by the way, was Billboard's number one album of 1982. God almighty. Damn. Dan's a hell of a taste back then. We sure did. All right, Henry. uh, I guess this is the end of the episode. We've already done the plug. So why don't you just uh, take us out? Hey, Chris, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape.